I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. After a long day of interviewing, editing, podcasting, making YouTube videos, doing whatever it is I'm doing with my life, I love to relax later on in the day or in the evening. And that's one of the reasons that I love Organifi Gold. This stuff is truly gold. It's got cinnamon, ginger, lemon balm, medicinal mushrooms, coconut milk, and more than anything, a super big serving of turmeric. It's an amazing anti-inflammatory spice. It's one of my favorites. So I'll make myself a golden latte at night with some good healthy fats in there and just have a nice calming drink. My friends and family love to come over and have my magic uh, gold elixir at night. But I also have been doing it uh, during the day. Just when I need to chill out, I'll make an organified drink elixir and I'll put it on ice. And it's actually really delicious that way too. Organifi Gold is the shiznit, guys. Real good stuff. So if you want to check it out, see, I'm trying not to swear as much on the podcast. That's where these weird words come from. I should edit that out, but I won't because I'm high on Organifi Gold. No, seriously, I did have some of it earlier and uh, put me in a really relaxed, um, but still kind of alert mood. It's amazing stuff and it tastes so bomb. You could even make like an ice cream with it. I'm, I'm going to start experimenting more with the gold. It's just a really good base powder that you can use for a lot of different things. Sometimes I'll throw some cacao in there, you know, I'll kind of mix it up a bit. Organifi Gold can be found at the following website, you guys. It's Organifi, spelled with an I, dot com forward slash Luke. That's Organifi.com forward slash Luke. If you want to save yourself some cashish to the tune of 15%, once you get over to their site, use the code Lifestylist to save 15% at Organifi.com forward slash Luke. Today is your lucky day, my friend. You've stumbled across yet another outstanding episode, if I don't say so myself, of the Lifestylist podcast. Before we jump into today's show with my friend Kyle Kingsbury, I'd like to invite you to join me next Tuesday with Ruby Warrington. That episode is called Sober Curious, Becoming Spiritual Without the Spirits, a really fun episode. To make sure that you don't miss next week's show or any show for that matter, just subscribe to the podcast. And beyond that, if you're enjoying what you're hearing here, do me, yourself, your friends and family, and of course, our illustrious guests a favor and share this episode with a couple of friends right now. Just seriously, click pause, share, boom, done. Love it. Our guest today is Director of Human Optimization at Onnit out in Austin, Texas, where this episode was recorded. It's Kyle Kingsbury, man. He's also host of his own podcast on which I've been a guest a couple of times. Kyle is truly a living example of the optimized human and he's going to tell us exactly how he got there. He's also a former UFC fighter with 11 wins under his belt. He's an all-round wonderful yet formidable human being, a true gentle giant, a spiritual warrior of the highest order. Love this guy. Love doing this show. Now, we already covered his origin story back in episode 155, so I'd invite you to scroll back and listen to that if you didn't catch it, and you're going to find out what made Kyle the man he is today. In this episode, we just jump right into the nitty-gritty. So we talk about Kyle's recent hunting trip where he came face-to-face with his prey. Really trippy story, uh, but I think a meaningful one for those of us, especially those of us that choose to eat animals. 
uh, his poly relationship with his wife, Natasha, and how the hell they make that work, how to cultivate healthy masculinity, something which I think Kyle's really done a great job of doing, huge inspiration to me, and then how Kyle stays humble as his success and notoriety continues to grow. His experience with ayahuasca and a very recent and harrowing experience with mushrooms known as penis envy. You definitely want to listen through to that part. Shit's nuts. And also we talk about how he uses natural things like breath work, sweat lodges, meditation, all the stuff that's accessible to most of us in our day-to-day life for huge transformative action. So thank you so much for joining me. Before we get into this episode, I'd love to invite you to visit me over at lukestory.com forward slash store where you can find all of the best health and wellness and biohacking products in the world neatly categorized and ready for you to buy. It's a great way to support the show and support the best brands in the world. Thank you so much again for listening. Let's go ahead and jump into this deep conversation with Kyle Kingsbury. Facebook people, Instagram people, real people, Kyle Kingsbury. We just did his show, the Kyle Kingsbury podcast. Now we're, of course, doing the Lifestylist with He is the Guest. It's a funny thing we do. Uh, seems like yearly here in Austin at the Onnit headquarters is um, doing a lot of show swapping, which is interesting when you have two conversations back to back with one host and one guest. It all becomes sort of seamless and weird. So we'll see where it goes. You try not to repeat you know, the same <laughs> shit. Wait, did we just talk about that? Or was that last year or whatever? So anyway. Second annual. Yeah, yeah. We're second sec- annual second podcast annual. swap. Good to see you, Kyle. Hell yeah. Welcome back to the show, dude. Great to be here, brother. Here we go. Bada bing, bada boom. So those of you listening here on the Lifestylist podcast, Kyle and I just recorded me as a guest on his show, the Kyle Kingsbury podcast, and then just turned the mics around and doing the same damn thing right over again, which is a funny way to do podcasting. And um, I can't wait to dive into this one. And Luke won't say it, but he was for sure like knocked it out of the fucking park. One of the best podcasts that I've recorded this week. And I've done a, a shitload of them. As you know, Paleo FX, thankfully people realize how much goes on in the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So people get in a little early and stay a little late. And I've been podcasting with paleo guests since Tuesday and we'll go to next Thursday. Really? So it's drawn out, which is great. Wow. But it's still like 14, 15 interviews. It's a lot. You know, in, in a very short yeah. span. Yeah, I just went to a conference in LA and I did um, in three days, I did 17 interviews. Damn, <laughs> fucking three days? Wow. <laughs> I just sat out on the lawn and just like banged them out one after another. Yeah. yeah. Where was this at? at the, in Beverly Hills at the Upgrade Labs conference. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Is that, um, is that like bulletproof? It's the, yeah, I think it's what it morphed into. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, it was good. Some of them were shorter, but there were, you know, some full length ones, but yeah. It's 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 fun um, because you get to get a lot of people in one place and do them live, but you also don't really get to experience the event because you're just kind of constantly working. recording. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. anyway, same thing here with Paleo FX. I'll probably not see any of the speakers, but I'll have really dope conversations and I'll have months worth of podcast in one weekend, which is amazing. But anyway, thank you for your kind words. That was totally an unexpected conversation we had, but. When you talk about plant medicines, uh, I guess unexpected things happen. (laughs) Just like when you take them. (laughs) The aftershocks are also sometimes random and unexpected. Uh, One thing I remember about you that I I always think of when I think of you is that last time we were here and we were doing this recording swap and then being sort of the, um, you know, I have a difficult time managing time. Time to me is very mysterious. And so when we ended, you were like, what time's your flight? And I'm like, 
it's in 15 minutes or whatever. And you're like, dude, you are not going to make it if you get an Uber. And you drove me to the airport. And I was thinking, what a cool guy, man. I mean, I have best friends and I don't think I would drive their ass to the airport. I just thought that was a really, it was a great way to end the trip. You know, you didn't have to do that. And I thought that's a cool guy. You know, they say um, there's two things that friends will do for you. And you know, you have a true friend if they drive you to the airport or if they help you move. Right. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree with well, that. For it's sure. also been said by a certain wise man that um, a friend will help you move, but a true friend will help you move a body. Mm. Ponder that. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, kind of. But yeah, thanks for the ride to the airport, dude. And I made the flight, obviously, because here I am back again. So we've already covered your kind of origin story back in episode 155 when you were on my show. So I want to encourage listeners that are kind of jumping into the conversation now. Wait, who is this guy? Where does he come from? What's his background? All that because your story is insane. And one of the best that I've had on the show, the arc of evolution you've had as a man has been absolutely profound and really, really inspiring. So I encourage people to go back and find out where you came from. So we're just going to skip kind of from that point forward. And where you are right now in your life, what I want to know is, have you discovered in a succinct way what your mission is? Like why you are embodied in a Kyle Kingsbury meat suit and what are you doing here on the planet? Like what gets you up in the morning? Damn, that's a good one. Um, I I would like to say I don't have a definitive answer for that. And that's because uh, I'm still learning it. And really, that just goes back to the one thing that I've kind of grasped and the concept that I have around, you know, Connor Moore, he started this podcast called The Pleasure Monkey, and it's changed since. But uh, that was based on a trip that he had done to the Amazon with Aubrey Marcus, where Aubrey was talking about, basically, we are pleasure monkeys. We're, we're these highly intelligent apes that are seeking pleasure at every turn, right? And that, that uh, and I don't believe Aubrey thinks this now, but that was what he had extrapolated to the meaning of life was to, to be seeking pleasure. And I thought, no, not at all. That's, that's definitely not it. And um, I'm not sure what the meaning of life is for me, but one thing I'm sure I'm here to do is to experience and to learn through experience and to continue to learn and grow. So what if you want to call that ascension or enlightenment or any of these terms, that's fine. I don't necessarily think they're a requirement. It is a requirement that I learn and I'll learn from anything if I'm paying attention, right? So I could learn from sitting in a fucking solitary confinement box for 30 years. I'm going to learn in the box, right? I'll learn anywhere if I'm paying attention and, and actually listening. So now it's, it's about really fanning that flame and trying to absorb as much as possible. Uh, obviously you podcast, you know this firsthand, but interviewing amazing people really is one of the quickest ways to download valuable information from people and start to put that into practice. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road for me is to try all this stuff. So, you know, I've been, you know, given this, this, uh, this name of the office guinea pig here at Onnit, and I try everything on for size and kind of report back how it goes. But lately it hasn't been like trying biohacks or I mean, I'm, I'm still doing that, but it's not, that's not the most important stuff. It's really just how do I draw from the things that I know are working for me? Um, we have access to, <laughs> we have access to this stuff called penis envy mushrooms, which is like orders of magnitude stronger than any other mushroom. It's really in a category of its own. Uh, we'll be doing ayahuasca in Costa Rica, like you just did out at Sultara at the end of May for a week. And, um, it's been a couple of years since we've done ayahuasca, my wife and I. So, and uh, 
I think that's going to be really powerful. I, I feel definitely called to the medicine and, and ayahuasca is her own thing. She's her own consciousness and she can help in her own ways. But it's been a big transitionary period right now. We're, we're, we're changing the podcast. We have changed the podcast um, from the Human Optimization Hour to the Kyle Kingsbury podcast, which has really taken the, I guess, the training wheels off the bicycle and allowed me to have free reign over who my guests are and what I talk about. And that's really great. Also, um, we'll be bringing on show sponsors so I can, I will for sure be making more money in that experience, but also taking on full costs associated with it. So it's kind of like I'm, I'm a big boy now. I got my big boy pants on and I got to be a businessman and an entrepreneur and see what are the other ways that I can take this. So for a while, it's been uh, really about how I manage my mindset and my nerves. And with the uncertainty of life, uh, my monkey mind just becoming rabid and ravenous and really trying to figure everything out. And then, you know, we, we did this, uh, Aubrey and I did this medicine ceremony uh, last weekend with penis semi mushrooms where, you know, it was, it was the, the pink moon, the Libra moon, whatever the fuck that means. And, uh, and it was all dudes. So, you know, you talked a bit on my show about this masculine and feminine energy. It was all masculine with the guys. And then in nature with the full moon and coyotes howling at the moon and the stars coming up and seeing every fucking star in the sky with no light pollution, like this deep connection to the feminine. And that balance really showed me, you know, this, this rabid monkey mind and outward thinking masculine, blah, 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 blah. That's me spinning out of control. If I go, I can feed, you know, the, the, the story of the two wolves who wins, the good or the bad one, it's the one you feed, right? So I can feed that monkey mind and go down the rabbit hole for weeks on end if I want trying to sort my shit and I'll never find a solution there. Or I can return to stillness and find peace. And that's really what it's been about for me. So I would say, you know, in all of the learning and with all the uncertainty in life, the, my priorities for sure lately have been in discovering um, my own sense of stillness and peace and, and really just trusting in the way that this is going to work out because it always fucking does. It always gets better. It's just in the immediate where I'm like, I don't have this yet, or this went a, a way that I didn't want it to go. And then I, I get wrapped up in that as opposed to what is this teaching me? And, you know, and this, this concept that Aubrey has of using hindsight as foresight, if you look back in time on every challenging event that's happened and see what it gave you, you know, then you can start to believe maybe this is happening for me, not to me, right? And as I embody that, it's like, oh shit whatever hard thing, whatever challenge I have is going to make me better. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but I don't need to because I can trust in, in the record of what's happened in my life thus far. It's always panned out. It's always improved. It's always gotten better. And uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now is just really enjoying that, taking things in stride, slowing down where I can. You know, I talked with you a bit about being gone more this month than I've been home and having a, a son that's about to turn four that's pretty tough because every time I come back and it could be a week or an eight day trip, I come back and he's already picked up new things. They learn so quick in that period of time. I don't want to miss it. Um, and every individual trip that I have is something that I'm super thrilled to do. It's just that they're stacked one right after the next, you know, like really stacked. So um, I think finding that place inside that I call home wherever I am has been a really big important lesson that I'm learning right now in life. Yeah, I relate to that. It's, um, I, I think that a life that 
doesn't include the purpose of learning and evolving makes the difficult times so much more painful. You know, if there's no purpose to it, then you get into that existential crisis of like life is just suffering and it becomes this really bleak sort of outlook that it's just like a momentary spike of pleasure until you're on to the next bout of suffering. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then that's when all the self-medicating comes in and all the the avoidance of reality, right? Rather than what you're describing is just sinking into the reality, but changing your perception and your orientation to reality and not getting attached to your opinion that this is a good thing, this is a bad thing, et cetera. And I love that you talked about the practice of looking at your track record of problems that your mind made up that weren't actually problems and that all got worked out. And I just had one of those. It's funny as you were talking, you know, I packed up all my stuff to fly out here to Austin and I have a really nice little uh, road case with all my recording equipment. And I always keep all my shit in there. I have my three mics, my Zoom recorder, which is, you know, the actual thing that captures the audio have my tripods, my social media setup. It's really great. I've ran around New York City with that thing. A number of different trips I've taken. I record on the fly. I've got it down. So I threw that thing in my suitcase. Boom. Come to Austin last night, get home to prepare to do some recordings today and realize that my little Zoom recorder wasn't in there. (laughs) (laughs) It's really the purpose of this whole trip is to come out here and use that recorder that I now don't have. That's the one thing you needed to podcast as people. It's really funny. Don't even need the mics. You can record directly from that. Totally, totally. (laughs) Um, So, but... There would have been a time in my life where I was like, oh my God, and gotten all pissed off or beat myself up for being so stupid or, oh my God, I'm fucked now. What am I going to do? And it's it's because of the track record of so many worse things happening and them still working out. I was just immediately into solution. Okay, where's Best Buy? And I thought, mm, Best Buy, maybe they don't have it. I don't want to drive out there. If I call, I'll be on hold forever. Guitar Center, boom. So I was going to go to Guitar Center after this. I walk in here today. Uh, your your guy that runs the show here. My boy, Ryan Giles. Yeah, I mentioned to Ryan, I was like, oh yeah, funny thing, I've lost my thing. He's like, want to borrow ours for the weekend? Done, problem solved. Dude, I could have been up all night with anxiety going, how oh, am I going to do these recordings? Uh, Guitar Center, what if they don't let me return it? Uh, you know, and it's like, I have to remember this moment now in the future times when I'm worried about something. And that is just such a valuable lesson. Yeah, because all that time spent with anxiety and everything, that can be a valuable teacher in its own right, but it's a fucking, it's time wasted. That's the way I look at yeah. it. It is time wasted where I, you know, we're, we're always in control. Uh, I forget the Viktor Frankl quote, um, but like, I think it's like man's last dominion is the choice of his attitude. Something along those lines. Right. I, I know I fucking butchered that, but <laughs> you can look it up, Google Viktor Frankl. It'll be one of the first things that comes up. And, um, so this choice over our attitude is really our choice over our outlook. And the outlook is n- not even, I mean, yeah, it's the outlook of the external, but it's really uh, what we choose to feel on the inside about any given circumstance or situation. And in that experience, we always have the fucking choice. You know, like like in um, one of my favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption. And uh, Tim Robbins is playing the music and he's like, why'd you do it? When he's fucking, he locks the door to the, to the warden's spot and plays music for the entire jail in the prison. And he's like, there's, he goes, that's always in me. There's something they can't take from us. There's something they can't take from me that always lives inside and that's it, right? So it's that kind of framework and belief that no matter what I'm safe, no matter what I'm okay. And when you start to embody that, any situation can become awesome, you know? What the hell are penis envy mushrooms? They are 
Oh, <laughs> is that because they're huge? Are they, I'm assuming yeah, they're like so, giant psilocybin so mushrooms. Terrence McKenna and Dennis McKenna, I think, created this. It's it. They're highly susceptible to mold. So, in my understanding, is they all have to be grown in a lab, um, which is an odd thing because you know you think of these plant medicines as like. And I have no. I mean, initially it was very much like, no, nah, only the organic stuff from Mother Earth is medicine, and LSD and MDMA are not. But now I know. I know differently from having very transformative experiences used in a proper set and setting with LSD or MDMA therapy. But, um, you know, so part of me is like, oh man, this is created by dudes and that kind of thing. But at the same time, like they're in a category of their own. They are at least 2X to 3X stronger than any other mushroom on the planet. I would venture to say they're twice as strong as the strongest mushrooms you've ever had and three times as strong as the most common mushrooms you've had. So golden teacher or B plus typical stuff that you'd get. Um, if you live on the Pacific West coast, uh, a lot of that grows naturally and that's typically what's foraged. And then you might get that from your local guy. Uh, these, these come out of a lab in New York from my understanding. And, um, they're to say that they're three times stronger doesn't really encapsulate it. Cause you could have, I mean, I've had close to 15 grams of mushrooms before, are you serious? It's not that one time? Yeah, but oh it's not God, it's dude. not the same as five grams of penis envy. Wow. It's not even fucking close. You know, so like that, and that experience truly is um something I would say to work up to. You know, it's like if you if you're getting into this, I don't recommend anybody that they start with that. And maybe you never even finish with that because so much work can be done with less. But at the same time, I feel very comfortable with this. I have a long experience in using these um, in a respectful way with reverence and intention. And I think with that, uh, you know, I, I feel comfortable going into the deeper, darker places and seeing what comes up. Uh, the beautiful thing about penis semi mushrooms, and this is, you know, I, I did a ceremony with my dad before Christmas last year. Uh, he had done ayahuasca with me a couple of times. And as you know now, have, having done ayahuasca, it does take a certain level of awareness and acceptance and surrender to be able to truly work with that medicine. And that, that's, some, that's a concept I didn't quite grasp initially, how you work with the medicine, but for sure being comfortable in your own skin, for sure having some type of meditative practice where you can return to your center or breath work or any of those practices all pan out very well in a challenging experience. Also with ayahuasca, you take one cup at a time and it's usually not until the second or third cup that you truly can have that blast off, you know, mystical experience that, that people talk about who are fans of ayahuasca, like myself, a nerf baseball bat to the head. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So my, my old band had done a couple of ceremonies with me and, um, and a couple more without me, but at every turn where he had the opportunity to go deeper, he really struggled with letting go and really struggled with the need to be in control. And he really feared what other people would think about him his whole fucking life. You know, he's almost 70 now. And um, so given the opportunity to have another cup, he would just say no. Or if he did, he would really try to control it and really struggle with that and purge, but not get to that beautiful euphoria that happens when you release into it. And so in talking with him about it, you know, these mushrooms had come on board and been made available. And, um, I told him, you know, I'm like, it's, it's a beautiful thing because it's one dose and it's buckle up. Like you are forced to surrender. There is no other way through it. Like you don't, there's no, all right, we had half the dose down. We're going to have half the dose later. It's like, no, it's all at once. And when it rises to peak, you're there. 
So it is, it is a buckle up scenario and release into it as much as possible because any struggle, you know, these, they can be unforgiving in a way. And I'm not sure if that encapsulate, encapsulates it correctly because one of the quotes that I love from Dennis McKenna is, and maybe it was Rick Doblin, but um, there are no bad trips. There are challenging and hard times in the trip, but there are no bad trips, right? When done properly. Obviously, if you're having alcohol and you're in a party scenario, that can be a bad trip. But when you're doing it correctly in the set and setting and everything's been ironed out and you have the intention, you have a great guide or a great shaman with you, there is no bad trip. You might leave, relive some trauma, but it's going to be for you, not to you, right? Just like we talked about earlier. So I think having those conversations with my dad really prepped him in a way to be ready for that. And um, we had about 100 milligrams of MDMA with it. So, you know, and this goes back to to the thing that I'm learning right now is how can I live in love rather than to live in fear? And, you know, many great teachers talk about this. Aubrey talks about it. The guides from Paul Selig, Ted Decker, who wrote the 49th Mystic, uh, Tom Shadiak, who did the documentary I Am. Like the list goes on and on. People that I've learned from um, that resonate highly with me. They they talk about this like the, that's kind of the draw here is the longer I live in love the greater my life becomes the more I live in fear the worse it becomes and so the same can be said in that experience the psychedelic experience and so I kind of got this download um, smoking from his dad's pipe who was was gifted to me when my granddad died uh, with a little organic tobacco and uh, just the download came in like hey let's 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 have a small amount of mdma with this so it's led in love rather than fear because it can be like holy shit what's happening now yeah yeah my, and, and uh, my experience mushroom you know and i've not done them consciously ever uh, but even the weak sauce ones that hippies pick and cow pies and organ or whatever can be kind of aggressive mm-hmm. it's it's got a little bit of tension to it you know that sort of I don't know what the the feeling is, but LSD is the same thing. Your cheeks get kind of tight and it's very drying, you know, from mm, a yep. Chinese medicine point of view. It's like, mm, it kind of sucks you up. It's very sort of arid and and has that, um, a certain edge to it and a harshness. Like having done ayahuasca now and very much a ceremonial non-party <laughs> intention, uh, intentional way, I'm not afraid at all to do ayahuasca again. And I was pretty nervous walking into it because psychedelics are one of those things. You can't undo it. There's no antidote. You can't take a bunch of acid and be like, I'm not really feeling this. Can I take the pill to come off it? Activated charcoal. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like, it's, you got to wait it out. But the idea, like when you described the mushroom thing, I'm like, oh my God, that's terrifying to me just because I think I have had a lot of, I don't say, you know, bad trips per se, but just situations in which I'm six hours in going, fuck, why did I do this now? Like our car's broken down and we're at some kegger and I'm stuck somewhere and slayers on the tape player. You know, I'm going back to high school, just like really dark bummer situations where you're stuck in a trip and you can't get out of it. And that the harshness of the psilocybin is kind of what I remember, but I'm, but I also to um, psilocybin microdosing mm-hmm. on a pretty regular basis to the point where, I mean, I don't even notice it. I just, I think it's good for you, so I do it. <laughs> but yeah. I'm not like, ooh, I'm feeling more creative today or whatever. I also um, learned that it's really good for your eyes and I'm having some problems with my vision. So Yeah, Paul some- Stamets talks quite a bit about that, you know, how it can help with uh, vision as well as hearing. 
And then it really helped him with his hearing. Two issues I'm having a lot with. Yeah. Um, so, but back to your point on the mushrooms, and I want to go back to you and your dad mixing MDMA with it. This is nuts. Uh, I want to find out more about this experience because it makes me think of my dad and he's pretty conservative, but also he's a seeker, you know? So I'm like, hmm. But one thing I did learn about mushrooms and just as a cautionary tale to uh, people that might be curious about not even having a spiritual experience, but the microdosing thing is not all mushrooms are created equal and the strength can vary a lot. And I yeah. kind of learned this the hard way because I got a digital scale. A buddy of mine got me, I don't know, maybe like a quarter ounce of mushrooms and I weighed a cap and a stem and I found out exactly what two tenths of a gram is because that's the recommended kind of micro dose that won't get you high. I have no intention of like tripping balls when I'm trying to do a podcast or something. So I measured those out and then would take those just a couple of days a week, you know, one little cap, one little stem. And I would just eyeball it eventually because I know what two tenths of a gram kind of looks like. Right. And then I was in your hometown of San Jose, at fucking Tony Robbins, UPW, 12,000 hyper ass people, techno, just very overstimulating environment and not an environment I feel comfortable in at all. I don't like crowds. I don't like noise. I'm super chill. Like I could just meditate all day in the woods. I'm that guy. And one morning I was really tired. So I it took just a little bit extra, you know, just a little. And I remember walking it, you know, when you walk in a concert and like you're on the higher level and you walk in, it's like, you know, that thing, it's that rush of a crowd. And I walked into the Tony thing and it's like, you know, just people just freaking out. 12,000 people I walked in. I was like, huh, I really, really don't like this. What's the problem? I was like, oh shit, I'm actually feeling it a little bit. Now, not tripping, but definitely feeling that tension feeling that yeah. can come from some psychedelics. And so yeah, I just took a walk and went out to the car and 20 minutes later, I was fine. But I was like, oh shit, this is no joke. If you want to effectively microdose, you need to find a way to standardize it. So what I did the next time is I just took an ounce and put it in a coffee grinder and just ground it into a powder. Then I weighed a little scooper that's two tenths of a gram. So I know that I'm getting a well-rounded dose. Mm -hmm. And since I've done that, I've never felt it at all and had any negative experience. But, you know, if someone's like, doesn't have a experience or history with psychedelics and they want their eyes to get better and they're like, cool, I'll just eyeball some mushrooms. And then you go to work or you try to drive or something, you could have problems. So just a cautionary tale there. But anyway, back to your dad. So where are you guys when you're doing this hero's dose of penis envy mushrooms and then you decide to sprinkle in some MDMA to the experience? Like, are you in someone's house? Are you in yeah, the we desert, were, we in the woods or what? We were in a house. Uh, it was nighttime. You know, we were on some mats. We had a beautiful playlist, which featured, you know, Parangi's first ayahuasca album and and um, some Icaros from Shipibo Shaman and different things like that to really set the tone and draw us in. And a lot of the tracks had no lyrics. Uh, and if any of the tracks had lyrics, they were very uplifting. You know, there's a really cool album that that Paul Check set me up with where it's 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 just children singing these spiritual songs from all traditions. So they oh, sing rad. Hindu songs, Christian songs, Muslim songs. I mean, it's just, it's fucking bananas. But you know, like 16 kids in a choir singing Hallelujah while you're on the medicine, like that'll fucking pull you in. You right. know, like there's, so we had, we had a really good playlist and, um, you know, and that doesn't compete with somebody actually singing live and, and the Icaros and, and really that language of the Amazon and how they work with ayahuasca, but it's the best we could do. Cause I don't know those things. And, um, uh, it was, I mean, he put it this way. He said that 
ayahuasca prepared him for this experience, not the other way around. Yeah. Okay. And that's how powerful it was. It was the deepest, most powerful experience of his life. I had also gotten the download because I knew he wanted that to scale back and to not blow the rails off because the truth is you don't heal everything in a single night and there's much work that can be done in one good night. There's still more work to be done. So making him a fan of the experience would allow him to come back to that when he was ready, but fucking blowing the rails off too far. He may not, he might right. be afraid of to come back. Right? right. So thankfully the the dose was perfect. He only had, th- I mean, three grams of penis envy is, is a very substantial amount, but um, that was the right dose for him to really ride that fine line between almost too much and just right. And um, it allowed him to practice surrender and letting go and not needing to be in control. And, um, you know, my wife and I were really at different times coaching him in different ways and not, not a lot. You don't want to be outward. If he's listening to my voice, he's not receiving downloads. So if I'm just chatting his ear off, he's not going to be getting the downloads he can. And same for myself. So really it was about periodically checking in and he would shake pretty violently every now and then. And I just let him know like, Hey, just let that energy move through you just breathe through it. And he had purged a few times and I've never seen anyone purge off mushrooms, but Wow. Purga happens when you need it, not when you want it. Right. Right. And he had some deep shit to let go of. And it was super funny because, you know, we had a bucket and I could tell when he was going to, I could feel it. I could feel the energy shift. And I was like, you might want to sit up and grab your bucket. And he's like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then he'd fucking lean (laughs) over his last words, turn inside out, you know, like as good as any ayahuasca purge I've ever heard. And I was just like, I just put a smile on my face because it's like, fuck yeah, get it, dad. Get it. Yeah. And, um, and I could feel it come on before he could, you know, because I was just tuned into him, and and I'd be like, "You might, you might want to lean up again." And he's like, "No, no, I got, I got the message. I got the message." That was his famous last words before going again and really, really getting it. But yeah, full body sweats. I mean, just um, in many ways. And for people who haven't done this, so like, why the fuck did you want to do that? It's like, well, I mean, you know, you're performing psychic surgery in a lot of ways. And I think the one of the main there was many takeaways. One of which was my great-grandmother, his grandmother, uh, his mom's mom, Mo, was really spiritual. And she uh, gave him a book when he was young. I think he was like, I don't know, he's pretty young. But they, she gave him uh, There Is a River by Edgar Casey and talked about the Akashic Records wow. and all this shit with him, right? Jeez, and this dude. was in a time, you know, yeah. where they were up in, in the Pacific Northwest. And for anybody who watched... Um, Wild, wild country with ocean. Like that's right down the street. You know, it's not far from where they were. So very traditional conservative people that lived there, very Christian. So she was really dipping into the waters of the spiritual that, that um, in my opinion now, flow right in context with that. But uh, to people who hadn't been taught those things are, are very much against, uh, you know, the church's beliefs. And so for him to get those downloads early was really cool. And he had always assumed that, his mom, Nana, my grandma, and Mo's daughter was in the same light because Mo had given him all this information and he was very receptive to it. And he got into transcendental meditation early on and lots of cool stuff. Um, but you know, now that Nana's getting ready to pass, uh, the more conversations he's had around death with her, the less confident she is. And that's really started to impact my dad. Like, fuck, maybe I don't have this figured out. And, um, you know, maybe it does just go black. And there was a lot of fear around that. But what he discovered in the ceremony, which is, I think, 
a pretty typical trip report if you go deep enough on ayahuasca or, or mushrooms is that you realize very quickly whatever consciousness is, whatever soul is, uh, I'm not my body. And when my body dies, I go on. And I don't know what happens after that. Some people get the downloads of reincarnation or different things, or they're shown um, different, you know, we talked about different planes of existence and dimensions that you can operate at. Maybe they're shown those different levels. And there's so much, I mean, to try to grasp infinity with our human brain is, is impossible in many ways. But to catch a glimpse of that um, and to, to know with every fiber of your being that when my body dies, I'll still be here, wherever here is. That's a pretty cool thing. And that's what he had. So it, it reminded me of the, um, the what would that be called? It reminded me of what they were doing at um, Johns Hopkins where they had the, the terminally ill cancer patients go through a psilocybin experience. And oh, like really? 80% I don't know about of, that. Yeah, 80% of them no longer feared death. Oh, wow. And for different reasons, but 80% of them no longer feared death. So it didn't, they were going to die no matter what. Well, we're all going to die no matter what, but they were going to die quickly no matter what. And however long they lived, whether it was two weeks or two months or two years, they were able to enjoy the remaining days of their life. And that's pretty fucking powerful. So for my dad to, to really get that download, I mean, I couldn't ask for, for a better scenario. I mean, because now he, oh, he really, yeah. you know, he believes and he knows and he has that confidence. And there's no, again, just going back to, am I living in love or am I living in fear? I think as we approach death, and it can come up for us at any point in our lives, even as young people, but that would fucking suck to live out the remaining years of your life in fear of darkness or in fear of separation and fear of loneliness, and no love or non-existence, right? And um, for him to be able to live in love and to know that, that, I mean, whether it's true or not, I'd rather live that way, right? Right, right. right now, I'd rather right. live that way. Right. I'd rather live in love. Yeah, it's, that's the idea of um, believing in God. You know, it's like, well, you, can you prove God? Not in, in one way, no, but life's just, for me, a lot better when I believe. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, why, why not be happier and feel like there's a purpose to everything in the universe and that there is a karmic and dharmic sort of um, larger plan at play? And who knows, maybe that's a figment of the imagination, but man, it sure makes life a lot more enjoyable to have that framework. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. If you are a discerning health enthusiast like myself and you want the best of the best, chances are that you've probably sat there and scratched your head at the health food store trying to figure out which CBD product to buy, right? I mean, this has happened to me on multiple occasions. They all make these claims. It does this, it does that, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone says they're the best. Who is actually the best? What actually works? Well, I found something recently that I'm super stoked about. It's called Onda. Now, Onda offers a patented, truly full-spectrum line of products and bulk oil, actually, that's not dependent on the use of alcohol, CO2, or other solvents for extraction. And their CBD is organically grown and produced in the USA. Now, here's the thing. When you take a plant that has medicinal qualities like the hemp or the cannabis plant, right, and you start stripping away all of the turpines and all of the cofactors that make it really a holistic, natural medicine, you end up with something close to a pharmaceutical, right? Now, some pharmaceuticals are great um, in a pinch when everything else has failed, but when it comes to a natural product like CBD oil, you really want the full spectrum of the plant and you don't want a bunch of junk in there when they got the extraction done, right? In other words, when they get the medicine out of the plant, you don't want to be adding poisons to it. 
So that's why I'm super stoked on Onda. I've been using it for a couple months. And I got to tell you, um, I don't have time to go into the benefits and there's legalities, but uh, this product has been amazing for sleep, anxiety, stress. I'm super into it. How you can get your hands on some is as follows. Go to OndaWellness.com. That's O-N-D-A, OndaWellness.com. And what's really exciting is that if you use the code Luke15, you'll save 15% off. That's Onda Wellness and the discount code is Luke15. Go get your CBD on. This episode of the Lifestyles Podcast is brought to you by my friends over at Juve. So for the past year or so, I've been doing something called photobiomodulation. That's a super geeky term for using red light therapy. And Juve make a device that is hanging right here next to me in my podcast studio that I use just about every damn day. In fact, most days I use it twice a day. So why would you want to use red light therapy? Well, just like a whole food can be broken down into different vitamins and minerals, sunlight can also be broken down into different colors. And just like the nutrients in whole food, each color and sunlight has its own effect on our bodies. So once absorbed into your body, light energy is converted into cellular energy, which kicks off a series of metabolic events like the formation of new capillaries, elevated production of collagen, and the release of ATP. And red light therapy has even been approved by the FDA, and its effectiveness has been studied throughout the world. So here's why I use the Juve red light therapy device on the reg. Repairs sun damage, which I get a lot of, reduces wrinkles, which I'm getting a few of, enhances muscle recovery and peak performance. When I work out, I have that issue. Heals acne and other blemishes, fades scars and stretch marks, speeds wound healing, reduces joint inflammation, and my favorite benefit of the Juve, increases testosterone production. So if you're interested in checking out some of those benefits for yourself, you can go over to juve.com forward slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V dot com forward slash Luke. Here's the catch. If you use the code Luke at checkout, you will receive a special free gift. So go to juve.com forward slash Luke, use the code Luke and get hooked up with some Juve red light therapy. And now back to the interview. When you mix the MDMA with these crazy lab shrooms, what what inspired you to do so, and what what did that add to the experience that wouldn't have been present just with the mushrooms alone? Yeah, well, well, MDMA is really heart opening, and um, you know, from like a, a metaphysical standpoint, you know, if you think of like chakras and energy systems and things like that, heart opening means you know, like we if we live in our heart space we feel more, we're more intuitive and we're less frantic with the wavering mind, right? And then if we're living in our headspace, and there's a great, one of my favorite um, stories from the Amazon is from a guy named Kerry who, who guided me uh, in a three-night ayahuasca ceremony and he'd worked a lot with Gabra Mate. So he was a licensed therapist as well. They started the facility New Way Rao uh, and then gave it to the Amaringo family. So if people Google ayahuasca art, a lot of that's Pablo Amaringo. Like it's very beautiful art from the Amazon. And so the Amaringos um, basically taught them to be curanderos and, and take the medicine out to the world. So I got to work with this guy and he was fantastic. But what he had talked about when he was living among uh, the Amaringos was the elders would come and, and, and have story time. And they talked about how when the storm comes, monkeys don't climb to the treetops. They return to the roots where it's safe. They go to the base of the tree where they know they're safe. But what do we do when the storm comes as humans? We go right up to our fucking head. We go to the top of the tree. 
where the storm is hardest and we try to sort the storm out in our mind, which is the dumbest shit. That's the worst you, place to be. And your right? mind is creating the storm to begin with. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right. So returning to your center, to your heart space and living in love, that's the move. How you get back to your roots and get grounded and feel the fucking earth on your feet and be in a body, a natural body of water, all those things can center you. Right. So I think um, the idea behind the MDMA was you know, an MDMA will, will push you towards love. I mean, I think a, a common complaint around people who would use MDMA in a party scenario is like, fuck, dude, I told all these people how much I loved them and I don't really love them. You know, the next day they're looking back on that and they're like, damn it, I was way too much in love. And they're, and I was saying some shit that I never should have said. And now like 15 people have my phone number that I don't want to have have my phone number, whatever the case is. But, um, you know, so you have to know how to work with the medicine, right? Again, yeah. so I think I think in that context, certainly with what MAPS is doing for PTSD and things like that with psycho-assisted therapy, it works. There's no doubt it does. That's why the FDA has fast-tracked it. So I think having that... They fast-tracked um, MDMA yep. in, in like a clinical as a, therapy as a breakthrough setting. As a breakthrough drug. And they actually are going to put it, from what I've heard now, as soon as the end of the year and as late as 2020, there will be grandfathered in people who are allowed to work with the therapy right now before it passes through phase three trials, which wow. is fucking bananas. When you think about wow. that level of efficacy, yeah. nothing in touch. And this is three doses over the course of a year. It's like every three months. So nine months, wow. they have a dose once every three months. And it's, and, and it's these assisted. are vets and people with a severe, severe uh, trauma. trauma yeah. Right. And, um, I think what's cool too is Rick Doblin's pushing for this for for people who, um, you know, regular people that really do want to just, you know, have a different outlook on life. So anyways, sidetracked on that note, but knowing all this stuff about MDMA and the power of it um, to really open up the heart and just to lead in love. So my, my dad could sit with those emotions and feel love rather than to have the fear of what's coming up. Right. It, 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 in a way, chemically allowed him to to get the most from the medicine, in my opinion. And um, from a spiritual standpoint, I saw it everywhere. I mean, I saw it in my in my vision. So for people that are familiar with the experience, I mean, for people that aren't, it's going to sound fucking weird. But for people that are familiar with those experiences, all the sacred geometry started coming in with the Ikaros from the Shipibo. And as it was coming in, I saw pink hearts like interlaced into this giant kaleidoscope. And I was like, oh, what are those pink hearts? I've never seen those before. And I realized that was how MDMA was, the spirit of MDMA was showing up to me in the vision, this beautiful synchronicity and intertwinement in what they call in the streets, hippie flipping, you know, molly and mushrooms. And um, it was fucking beautiful. I mean, the whole experience was beautiful. So, you know, and and really that came to me in meditation and working with tobacco, which is you know, traditionally called the great communicator. It's what connects us to our ancestors and what allows us to get downloads. From a scientific Western medicine standpoint, nicotine fits in the exact same receptors of the brain as acetylcholine. So it is the greatest nootropic on earth. Interesting. And that's exactly wow. why. I mean, every fucking nootropic on planet earth, including alpha brain, which we sell, is trying to uprate acetylcholine and downregulate the enzyme that breaks down acetylcholine. And that's it, you know, more acetylcholine and for longer, right? But nicotine is the, it's the key that fits in the exact same lock in our brains and that's just turns tripping. it on. That's why musicians and, and writers and artists will chain smoke or it's, it's a muse. It, yeah. it jogs the mind, right? So yeah. 
that's usually where I'll get my downloads before uh, deciding upon dosing and things like that is tapping in, getting still, being in nature and using a little tobacco ceremonially. Yeah. um, My friend Tim yesterday gave me a spray, like an under the tongue, a sublingual nicotine spray, whatever, five milligrams. And I was like, I used to smoke. I mean, I was like a diehard smoker, cigars, cigarettes, dip. Like, I mean, I had a hard ass time quitting nicotine because I use it so compulsively. I was just always sick and this is horrible. But I thought, you know, what are the chances of me? Like, am I going to go smoke a cigarette because I had a little squirt of nicotine, you know? But he was explaining a little bit of the benefits because I've always been like, I don't, I don't want to start smoking. So I just don't touch nicotine. But I got to say, I felt pretty fucking great yesterday. And I came here to do a podcast and um, yeah, I, I found it pretty opening. And when I did it in ceremony with the up the nose, the, uh, what do they call it? Hape. Hape. Yeah. I mean, not a pleasant experience in any of the times I've done it, which has been, I guess, five times. Um, but it did clear the shit out of my mind where I was just like, oh, wow, I'm super present. And meditating on the nicotine is pretty crazy. It's powerful medicine. Right? Yeah, and hoppy I mean, is one of the most powerful forms of it. Everything you know? is just crystal clear. Now, unfortunately for me, there's quite a bit of nausea associated with it, but still it's, it's, it's worth it if you know, in the right set and setting. Um, back to the MDMA, something that is always a bit disconcerting to me about dealing with, you know, pharmaceutical lab stuff like that is the purity factor. I know a lot of people, I only took ecstasy once um, and I had a really horrible experience with multiple police officers that night. <laughs> so <laughs> it was not a lovey... That sounds like a great story. Yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah. Two run-ins with cops, a, ch- a hit and uh, um, police chase, high-speed chase. Um, yeah, it's not cool. I thought I was just going to go... I took it with the girl. We were going to go party. I thought I was just going to get laid, to be honest. Yeah, I was like 23 or something. And we ended up just getting like, Everyone got arrested. Bonnie and Clyde. Except me, I had to walk. I walked home because I was the only one they didn't arrest for whatever Damn. reason. Which is weird. Yeah. I win. Fuck you, LAPD. Anyway, negative experience. The high was good, but the next day, dude, I felt like I mainlined crystal meth for a week. I mean, my whatever it was, my neurotransmitters, I was so suicidally depressed. I could not smile. I couldn't laugh. I couldn't summon like a, the most minute amount of joy. And I thought, God, it must have, it felt like it had speed in it or something like that. And so that really turned me off to it. And the police didn't help either. But like, if you want to go- Yeah, I can, I can if, talk a bit about if that. If you want to have an intentional experience with MDMA, like how does one even procure something that's pure and isn't going to tank your neurotransmitters and give you all those negative side effects? So I definitely, you know, especially being a dad, don't want to give away too much information here. Sure, um, yeah. I will say that the the source that we had at that time um, is 100% pure and it's made in the US. Ah, oh, got it. And um, has been third-party tested. So like you, know, you, you know what you're getting. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and, like, and to speak to that, you know, like I, I did a lot of ecstasy in college. I'd shove <laughs> pressed ecstasy tabs in my poop chute and keys to them <laughs> before going out because they're $20 a pill and I wanted to get the most bang for my buck. Right, right. Um, that certainly has some serious repercussions on neurochemistry. You know, and I think a lot of pressed ecstasy tabs are cut with uppers to keep you awake longer and make you go, go, go. And that's, that's a lot of where people having issues with overheating and heat exhaustion and dehydration come from. Like you're at a rave, you're dancing all night, you're not hydrating enough, and you have all these other chemical components within it. Certainly that can be an issue, but 
you know, Rick Doblin, I asked Rick at a, at a MAPS conference why they don't include things like 5-HTP and melatonin and all these different uh, add-ins, vitamin C, SAM-E. They all help with that come down if you can have a loading phase prior to the ceremony and then after. And uh, he said, you know, with the FDA, they simply can't do that. Oh, they can't do it because they have to make it about the MDMA. So you can't have a vitamin C protocol or 5-HTP protocol that goes along with it. And I was like, okay, that actually makes sense. It's like, do you find people that are doing this in the psycho-assisted therapy have any issues? And he said, no, because they're not out dancing. They're taking it in the morning. So they're able to go to bed on time. The MDMA wears off long before they go to sleep at night. They're not losing sleep, you know, right, which is right. a massive component very good point. Neurochemistry. Sleep is more Very important than point. fucking any nootropic when it comes to how your cognitive function is going to behave. It has to do with, are you getting quality sleep? So, right. um, and then also, you know, they're laying down, they're, they have a blindfold on, they're listening to really good music, and then they speak when they want to speak. So um, in that experience, it's not taxing. And then the following day, they highly recommend people spend time in nature. They're not going to work. You know, it's typically done on a weekend or a Friday, and then they have a day or two to relax and unpack and journal. And, um, you know, again, rest and then hydrate and then get more sleep. And then, you know, from there, it's a very quick recovery and most people don't experience any of those side effects. So I found that very interesting. I very will still, so. I mean, New Mood is a shameless plug. New Mood's a product we carry that used to be called Roll On, Roll Off. And everything here is born out of necessity. So <laughs> that's Aubrey funny. used I didn't to do know that. a lot I love of ecstasy. That new mood. That stuff's roll, great. Ro rolling, obviously. Yeah. Roll on, roll off was created uh, specifically to help with that hangover. That is funny. And now it's, you know, new mood is just about uh, having a positive mood. It's really beneficial for sleep. And I take it every night for sleep. But we'll double up on that in the days prior to using MDMA and then the days that, that precede it. And there's, there's really no issues. Cool. Sure. That's a that's a great hack. Yeah, that's good to know. And you know, I think a lot of people that I know that have had negative experiences, everything you just described played into that. I didn't even think of the lack of sleep. Like yeah. you're take you're taking it at eleven p.m. Mm -hmm. right, and you're up until ten a.m. the next morning. Like that whole bummer of watching the sunrise when you're still up and just oh god, yeah. It's, I think those are the nauseating memories that many of us have that would um, dissuade us from doing it in a more conscious way. So that's, that's very cool. Really interesting stuff. You got me thinking now, like me, I'll do some today. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Let me know. I got <laughs> one thing. Yeah. I'm still like, I'm like, ayahuasca is cool. I'm just, it's funny, dude. Still thinking the ideas I said of just doing mushrooms and a mega dose like that um, is terrifying to me just because I have experience with that. I think ayahuasca was less scary for me because I had no idea what it was going to be Doesn't like. Doesn't compare it to, yeah. Yeah. And I, there was no matter what, there was no prior experience. So anything was new, even if it was difficult or challenging or in any way negative, at least I wasn't expecting it. So I was able to walk in just completely newbie status, mm. which assisted me in just rolling with whatever came up, which as I said, was largely um, pleasurable for the most part. Uh, recently from following you on Instagram, by the way, file uh, follow, was it Kingsboo? Yep. K-I-N-G-S-B-U. Yeah. So follow Kyle Kingsboo on Instagram. Uh, I looked at a hunting trip that you recently went on. I'm just going to take a turn here. I'm curious about what that experience was like. Uh, what motivated you to do that? Have you done it prior? Having been exposed to hunting a lot as a kid, I don't think I ever, I didn't shoot any large game. I used to shoot little shit and just leave it there, which is kind of uncool in retrospect. But 
my dad is a big game hunter, you know, for most of my life and now is kind of a retired hunter. But it was always a really challenging experience for me. However, being an adult and having been a vegetarian for 10 years, um, which I just for health reasons eventually stopped doing, I have wrestled with the internal hypocrisy that I feel where I feel so much better when I eat animal products, but I can't say that I'm prepared to go out and kill it myself. And I feel like a total like <laughs> hypocrite and pussy for that fact. And I mean, pussy as in pussycat, female listeners, go look up the origins of that term. Don't DM me and call me a misogynist because <laughs> the term actually comes from acting like a kitty cat. It has nothing to do with being a female. I get shit when I use that word. And I finally looked it up. I was like, you know what? I'll fucking say pussy as much as I want. My show says explicit next to it. Pussy, no, but, pussy, pussy. But seriously, um, yeah, I mean, usually that word has a real affinity um, <laughs> in the minds of men. But um, anyway, I, I feel this internal sense like, God, I really should be hunting if I'm going to eat meat. That's the bottom line. And I don't because no one invites me or I don't know people that hunt. So what's your whole deal? I think I saw you like with your hand on a boar. It yeah. appeared to be. Yeah, it was, it was a not a deer. So give me the whole hunting spiel and what that was like. Yeah. So let's see. I... I my dad is the oldest of five kids. He has two brother, younger brothers, and the three of them would always go hunting, uh, sometimes with rifles, oftentimes with bows. And my granddad would always be there, and they'd take me along when I was super young. But it was basically a camping trip. I was so young for me. You know, we'd, we'd stay around. They'd get me up at the crack of dawn with them, and uh, I'd eat eggs with them and, and kind of hang around. Sometimes I'd go out with them and be quiet. But most of the time, I was, I was just at camp. And um, I was new. It was something I wanted to do. But, you know, playing football growing up, like I always had a primary focus from, you know, athletics. So football was the focus and that didn't really lead into me being able to practice shooting with a rifle or bow hunting or any of that stuff. And, um, you know, then my fighting career. And then when that finished, I hadn't really thought much about it. You know, I am a meat eater. I love it. I want a deeper connection to the animal um, that I'm eating. But there wasn't a real priority there. And then, you know, obviously Joe Rogan really popularized that and talked about his hunting trips. He also talked about archery in a way that made a lot of sense to me like this. So I'm, I'm constantly looking for ways that uh, activities I can do that really stretch across different areas of my life I want to perfect. So, you know, it's, it, I know how to meditate quietly in a room in darkness or out in nature. But if I can do Tai Chi, then I can actually move energy through my body and breathe and tie the breath work into it. And it's a different feeling. Also, how do I hack a flow state? So what I found is actually bowling with my son who loves bowling has been really instrumental in that because I can't think if I'm going to bowl well, I can't think about anything else. And I actually have to time my breathing to the bowling. So I take a deep breath when I'm lined up and then I'll slowly exhale as I go through my shot in bowling. Same thing goes when I'm doing archery. And so I got into, you know, I'd, I'd been following John Dudley and different guys that are pretty prominent in the space as archers and hunters and uh, yeah, listener Rogans. And I found out when I got here to Onnit that John Dudley was an Onnit sponsored dude. And I was like, fuck, oh, wow. somebody get me his contact right now. So I got his email and I wrote him and I'm like, dude, I'm a huge fan to listen to you on Rogans. I want to get into archery. Uh, is there a time when you're going to be in Austin? And he had just done... He sold three bows at a, you know, custom made bows for different people at a, uh, to the highest bidders as a donation for Hurricane Harvey relief in uh, Houston. And he was going to be out here in Austin at Archery Country, which is a local archery spot. 
And so he's like, dude, I'm going to be in town. Let's do each other's podcasts and uh, we'll get you set up. And I was like, fuck yeah. So he comes in, jumps on the podcast. We have a great time. Uh, the next day he's at Archery Country and he's giving these three bows out to the highest bidders as a donation to help with Hurricane Harvey relief. And he custom makes me a fucking bow. Now this happens to be my 36th birthday. Custom makes me a Hoyt and hands it to me and says, happy birthday. And I'm like, damn, son. And so, of course, people are writing me online like, you just gave a 16-year-old a Ferrari. He doesn't even know how good it is. And I'm like, fuck off. So um, that was my first experience with getting a bow. And then he spent, you know, the next 48 hours giving me private lessons at Archery Country, which is, I mean, if I have any skill in shooting, which is, you know, I'm a white belt at this, um, maybe a blue belt, uh, it's due to John Dudley. So really I had, you know, this, this crash course on how to shoot, how to prep, how to quiet the mind. And in going through those steps, you know, because like, you know, we talked about on, on my podcast, uh, what's important now that acronym, right? So if I, if I come across an animal in real life, my heart starts racing, what's important now? Well, let me get in the right position. Let me make sure I'm not seen. Let me wait to take the shot so that it's the right shot. So I don't injure the animal, but not kill it. All those things are very, you can make it systematic and then you don't have to think of, oh my God, it's right here. You know, like just actually going through the steps necessary and then uh, taking the shot is, it makes it a lot easier because it's systematic. So I had wanted to hunt, um, you know, for some time. And now that I had a bow and was able to practice, I really wanted to go on a hunt. And Ben Greenfield had reached out to Aubrey and I to go uh, in 2017, but we had a lot going on with Aubrey's book launch and couldn't do it. So, um, or 2018 rather. And then, so this year came around and, um, in the last year, Greenfield started planning a trip with Aubrey and I, and, um, we were looking at all, you know, sorts of cool places to go like Argentina and a lot of different places. But, you know, a lot of those countries don't let you take the meat home and it's still eaten. Like you could give it to the tribe or the local people there and they get to eat and then you can, you know, feed a community it being my first hunt, I wanted to take this meat home and have it for myself, you know, and my family and my tribe. So, uh, you know, we looked at some less exotic places, still fucking beautiful. We went to Hawaii and uh, I hit up my buddy, Kyle Tierman, who's hunted in Hawaii a number of times. And he has some really cool local guides that he works with, uh, you know, born and raised Hawaiians that have been hunting their whole lives. And he's actually had them on his podcast. And I was like, I fucking, these, I resonate with these dudes. Let's do it. So Tierman really put this whole thing together. And um, it was, I mean, and I, and I feel bad because Aubrey didn't get to go. He had Rogan in town and really needed to focus, you know, on, 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 on it and uh, getting content with Rogan. And they had a beautiful podcast and all that. But, you know, he still, he still sent me on my way. And um, we started on Big Island. We hunted uh, boar. We hunted goat. We hunted ram. And then uh, we finished up on Maui hunting Axis deer. And Rogan always talks about Axis. You know, they, they, they're from India. They evolved to escape from Bengal tigers. They're one of the fastest deer, uh, incredibly intelligent hunters or, or, or uh, prey rather, incredibly intelligent, you know, very hard to come up on. And uh, one mistake, as I found out, they're fucking gone, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, but so there was so many lessons that got trickled in. First of all, you're hunting in paradise. So that's really nice scenery, you know, and then we're up at 4 a.m. So before the sun comes up, we can watch the sunrise, you know, and, and 
uh, that connection to nature while you're in the hunt was something that was incredibly beautiful. Also, you can't really talk when you're hunting. You're not like having a fucking conversation. You're in silence, right? right? So like- There's a theory that that's why men don't talk because we have 2 million years of evolution of shutting the fuck up so you can go get dinner. Yeah, right. <laughs> makes right? sense, right? Yeah. But but yeah, like that that for me was such a visceral um, way to embody peace and quiet time and stillness. And, and, you know, we did spot and stock where we're looking through binoculars, finding them and slowly, painfully, slowly moving through uh, the terrain to get close enough to take a shot. Cause it's not like a rifle. I can't just spot it at a hundred yards and say, or 200 yards and say, all right, I got you. How close you know? do you have to be to get a, a solid kill well, shot? Well, and that's, that just or really it goes depends back. on the animal. It goes back to skill set, right? Mm-hmm. So um, there was guys that I was with, you know, like like Dr. Peter Atia, who I was a huge fan of, still am, uh, now has become a friend of mine. Um, he's accurate from 73 yards, you know, because he's used to shooting at that. He's got, a, he's got a, a target in his backyard. It goes at 73. So he's dialed in at 73. For me, I have a range, an indoor range that's at 20 yards. So I'm really good at 20. And then past that uh, is a little, it's a little iffy. But, um, you know, I feel comfortable anywhere between 60 and closer. But that you're still getting pretty close to the animal. You know, if you make a noise at 60 yards, they're going to spot you. So um, not boar necessarily, but certainly with Axis deer and, and the rams were pretty damn intelligent too. But um, yeah, so we had like this, you know, first of all, we're with great guys. The conversation is fucking amazing. Everyone there has a podcast. Everyone there is is on the path and and you know into health and wellness and some form of you know. Everyone has their particular specialties. You know, Kyle Tierman is a big wave surfer and um, and an environmentalist. And Dr. Chris Ryan's there, who wrote Sex at Dawn, and it's just a fucking. I, I mean, I lo- I've learned from all these people. So the conversations at night were incredible, and then you know, sleeping in a single person tent and going out with, we each had our own guides. So it was pretty much pairs of two going out into nature and getting still and being quiet, either spot and stalking or getting in the right place and waiting. And both of those experiences were really powerful because the spot and stalk, you have to get, you have to be quiet as you get close, but you also have to gain ground. And, um, there was so much I learned at every angle, but, you know, I was thankfully able to uh, to kill an animal and harvest it. And um, second only to my son being born, I mean, I felt a fucking wash that started up my head and went to my feet of gratitude. My hands were buzzing. My hands were shaking uh, when I killed this boar at 20 yards. And I just felt gratitude like through through everything. And that's why I came over and put my hand down on it and took a knee and prayed for the life of that animal and thanked it really because you know, and that is the argument <laughs> when people start doing plant medicines, things like this, a lot of them turn vegan. And it's, I don't know if I'm getting a different vision than you are, but I have had visions around this. And the truth is life takes life. And, you know, they, they talk about this in uh, Sapiens. It's a great yeah, book. I'm, but I'm halfway through that Right when he goes through audio book, I'm like, when's this thing over? It's just, it goes on. I think it's like 12 hours. It's amazing. But he he, he gets into all the different religions when they came up, right? And the first thing he talks about is animism, which is one of the oldest religions or spiritual uh, things. But animism is believed by many Native Americans and, and many South Americans who work with plant medicines. But it's this idea that everything is animated. 
And whatever soul I have, that's in the plants, it's in the mountains, it's in the earth, it's in Venus, it's in the moon, it's in the sun, it's fucking everything is conscious, right? So that has been made very, very viscerally understood for me from ayahuasca and deeper mushroom ceremonies where I've seen trees communicating with one another and things like that has been shown to me like, oh, hey, this is consciousness as well, right? And so... I was shown uh, this, the vision in particular where I was asking about, because I had a lot of people saying like, dude, you should quit eating meat. And uh, I knew better from a health and wellness standpoint, but I was like, is that right? And that came, that question came up to me in ayahuasca and I saw a panda bear chewing bamboo. And I literally said in my mind, fuck, am I going to go vegan? And then I saw a black bear eating berries. And then I really thought, panic, I'm not eating anymore. And then I saw a grizzly snatch a salmon out of the water. And it was Mother Earth saying, take from me, take what's natural. You know, like the closer it is to what I've created for you, the better it is for you. But everything is conscious. Everything is alive and life takes life. And the, the more living our food is, the better it is for us. You know, like a sashimi wild caught salmon that was caught. And I don't even know, actually, maybe you can't do that. Maybe you can't do uh, sashimi salmon, but something that's not overly cooked, that's very fresh and wild game is going to be much better for you than eating something that's been shelf stable in a bag on a fu- in a grocery store for fucking two years, right? One food is dead, one food is alive, right? Uh, but all are conscious. So there's no, it, it's not, it's not about what's better, what's right or wrong. It's about, do I have a connection and am I respectful of the fact that I have taken a life to stay alive and to be sustained? And so that all those emotions went through me as I had killed this boar. And I really just felt such a deep connection to it. And I felt so much gratitude knowing that it was going to provide for me, but for my family and also for those that I call my tribe, you know, the people that are closest to me. And it already has been that, you know, I crockpotted a big piece of the butt and uh, we, we drained it, pulled it, mixed in some sauerkraut and some really good uh, seasoning and and had some side veggies and it was a beautiful meal and we all held hands and made a prayer for it and uh, you know bear led the prayer my little three year old said thank you God for this food and that was it it was so simple you know but but thank you for the life of this animal that we're about to eat and uh, every bite was very visceral the amount of gratitude that I had because I know like this is something that will sustain us and I did have a very real connection to that animal when I killed it. And thankfully it was a very clean kill. You know, it didn't take long. It was shot right through the heart. And that was a beautiful thing to see as well. So when you walk up to this boar, it's not still panting and suffering. It's already checked out and left its body. Yeah, that, that was it. Then uh, that leads me to my next kill. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, like I said, many lessons. And I get to see the full spectrum of what hunting looks like. Um, Obviously, there's fucking much more to learn, the depth of which I don't fully understand yet. But I had a shot on a sow and it was, it was, I didn't realize it was a sow at the time, but there's a boar and a sow and then two piglets. It's a family of four. And I'm like, fuck, man, I'm a dad. I'm trying to have my next kid. We're trying right now. It's like, damn, I'm going to take a parent out right now. And the way I kind of, wrapped my head around that was we are the only no natural predator here. They don't have a natural predator. That's why pigs are an issue in Hawaii. They're a real issue. Even the deer are a real issue environmentally. And I can get into that more, but just to know like those piglets are going to grow up fine. They don't have a predator that's going to take them out. And so 
the, the pigs are all moving and they're not moving quickly, but they are moving. So it's a, move, a moving target. And I'm out at about 43 yards and I lead the, the pig by about a foot, what I estimate to be a foot. And it hits maybe three inches back behind the vitals. And it was making like the worst squeals. And I had to come up on this thing with my guide and, and um, my buddy, JR, he's like, are you feeling primal? And I'm like, yeah, man, give me the knife. Cause I didn't have my knives on me. Also a rookie mistake. So he hands me uh, his buck knife and I have to hit this sow through the heart to help it pass away because it was not going to die soon. It was going to bleed out for a long period of time. And I mean, it was like, just going. And, um, and so I put my hand on it and, and went through the heart with this long knife and, and I held it in there for a while. And then I pulled it out. And I mean, another 90 seconds went by with it, like kind of, this is graphic for people. So I apologize, but you know, breathing in its own blood and really, uh, you know, running in place on its side and trying to escape. And then it finally passed. And that taught me so much because it's super easy when you get the clean kill, you know, but that was like, fuck man, I, that lit a fire into my ass to be better at hunting, to be better shot. So I don't have to go through that again you know, and, and to not take the shot that I'm uncertain of, you know, and it, it changed the rest of my hunt because there was many opportunities where I had a chance at hitting the animal, but it wasn't a very clear, clean shot. Maybe there was a branch in the way or the animal was moving. Um, or if it was looking at me rather than eating, then I know it could have moved by the time it heard, you know, the, the follow through. So all these things factored in and I didn't take a whole lot of shots after that. I still, I still took shots. Um, but that taught me a lot right there too, you know, like shit. Okay. I got to get better at this. And, um, again, you know, super deep connection and, but also feeling that, that call to be good to not, to not be shitty at what I'm doing here. Because it does matter. It's so heavy, man. And as you know, you're telling that story. I'm like, oh my god! I like, I, I can't. I mean, I know that there's a lot of things that I've experienced and been through that I didn't know that I could make it through unscathed, so to speak. But psychologically, there's such a, a difficult. I have such a difficult time getting around that. Even though I eat bacon almost every single day, but I don't have to see the process that you just described to get my bacon. And that's where I feel this internal, I mean, it's not something I ponder on a lot. I mean, I'm like, listen, I, it's me or them kind of thing. Like, I don't feel good when I eat kale. Like I need some fucking bacon. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not to be cold about it, but I do feel a sense of responsibility to um, be part of the ecology that I'm taking from. I'm taking from it from a monetary standpoint. And I'm, you know, I'm giving money for someone else's hard work that's going and doing the hunting or the farming or whatever it is. When I was a kid, I had experiences like that where, you know, they would be on a hunting trip hunting bear with my dad and they would tree a bear and they'd shoot it out of the tree and it would land half alive. Or one time we had, we, the cubs lived and we had to put the cubs in the truck and well, one of them died, one of them lived. We took the cub home and it was like our pet cub now because it wouldn't have survived and a lot of weird shit happened. And it, it, I was, you know, California kid. So I was disconnected from my dad's lineage. He had been hunting since I think literally he was like six or seven years old. He was carrying a 22 around the plains of Colorado, shooting everything inside and eating and skinning everything. And and to him, like I've interviewed him about it. And I'm like, do you ever feel guilty? Do, do you cry when you see the animal suffering? And 
he just looks at me with this blank stare and he's just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, but he's from a different paradigm and yeah. in a different era and a different geographic and cultural experience. So to him, the reverence and the gratitude and the connection to the land and to all of the animals and all of the creature is just built into his mental framework. So it's yeah. it, to him, he's not killing something that's like a teddy bear or a cartoon character. It's just, he understands, I think, um, what you're now learning and I'm trying to get my consciousness to envelop is that everything is cyclical and it's all just an energetic sort of karmic play and the energy leaves one living thing, goes into another, comes back out. And trying to get a really zoomed out perspective of that. But as you tell that story, I'm like, oh my God, I would be freaking out because I don't want to see something suffer. But here's the dilemma. is like, you know, most of us like watching the nature channel, right? Whatever. And you say like you're watching the the prey and, and, um, and, and predator in the Sahara. Okay, so let's imagine you've got a pride of lions and they're all stalking some gazelle. I'm always rooting for the gazelle. And then when the gazelle gets taken down and torn apart, I'm like, oh, that poor gazelle. And my, I just feel this empathy and I feel sorry for the gazelle. Meanwhile, what about the lions that are hungry? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. I should also be feeling sorry for the lion when the gazelle gets away and they miss lunch that day because they might not catch one for another four days and they're on the you know brink of starvation or something, right? Yeah. So it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a conundrum of nature that I feel many of us have and are trying to reconcile those of us that are conscious, feeling, empathetic beings, like hopefully I am most of the time, but also understanding just evolution and biology and the paleolithic evolution of mankind and that we tend to do better, as you said, when we eat off the land. And having tried living off plants for a number of years, I did not do well. So how do I reconcile that? And when I look at it too, what I see in nature is that everything is eating everything all the time. Mm -hmm. Every, I mean, like anytime From you watch top nature, to bottom in the food yeah, chain. all that's going on is shit is eating shit. Mm -hmm. Like that's all that happens in nature. And even if you decided I never want to kill anything and I'm just going to eat plants, well, you have to kill all the bugs and the fungi and all the stuff that makes plant growing possible even if you only eat kale, things are still dying. If you drive a car, I just did a road trip and I killed probably tens of thousands of bugs driving down the street. So I thought, well, if I don't want to kill, I can't drive a car. So I'll just walk. Well, no, if you're walking, you're killing bacteria that you're stepping on. You're still killing some bugs that you don't notice. And it's like you literally can't move through time and space without enveloping and killing living entities, no matter how big or small. So then it becomes this value system. Well, if I'm willing to kill a grasshopper that hits my windshield, but I'm not willing to kill a mouse that's in my garage with the mousetrap, but I'm willing to kill a rabbit. No, rabbits are too cute, but I'll kill a chicken. You know, it's like, who's the one that decides which <laughs> animal on the food chain is appropriate to kill for your sustenance? And then it gets really complex, you know? And I think the reason it's complex is because, at least in my life, from the time I was born, I wasn't watching chickens getting beheaded in the yard and turning into dinner. It wasn't part of my domesticated upbringing. Whereas mm -hmm. 100,000 years ago, no matter what kind of human you were on the planet, um, animals dying to feed the people around you would be so commonplace. You would literally see it from the very second you were born. Yeah, And so you would see a pig lying there suffering and you just be like, cool, someone take care of that. We need a dinner. You know, it wouldn't be like a cartoon character that you watched on Disney when you were five, that now you feel like the pig is your friend and it's yeah. like a human. It's oh, not a human. No you know? Bambi, no Bambi. Yeah, all that yeah. stuff. It's, it's just, it's a really interesting 
phenomenon in my own life and culture. And, you know, as I said, going to the farm where I get a lot of my food was as close as I've gotten to it. I held a baby pig that for all intents and purposes was likely my bacon that I got at my local butcher, Belcampo, a few weeks later or months later. You know what I mean? And I'm like, this is weird. This thing's super cute. Could I kill this thing and wrangle its neck right now and cut it open and make bacon? I guess if I was hungry enough, but I'd still rather pay someone else to do it. Mm. You know, it's the it's the glass slaughterhouse thing, you know? And um, so it's not something that keeps me up at night, but I don't know. I, I am thoughtful and the idea of hunting feels like in my experience, some I have some sort of responsibility at some point to have that experience, whether it becomes something I become, you know, really into and do on a regular basis. But I kind of don't feel... I feel unintegrous somewhere in there because I have this very disconnected relationship. It's like, I want the benefits of the animals in my body becoming my body, their flesh becoming my flesh, but I kind of don't want to see the messy mm. details of that exchange of energy. Yeah. Does that make I, sense? It does. And I was surprised because I wasn't sure how I was going to handle field dressing an animal for the first time, but <laughs> oh, dude. you know, Peter Atia is over my right shoulder giving like the anatomy lesson of the animal of the boar as I'm cutting through it. And it was, I don't want to say there was a disconnect. I mean, I have my hand on this warm body while I'm cutting through it and being very careful not to hit the intestines and spill shit everywhere. But it was, it was really powerful and it was far less gross. Even the smell didn't bother me. Like it was just like, this is part of the rub for me to eat is to feel dressed this and not just have my guide do it. You know, even though my guide helped quite a bit. To be able to do that was was one of the pieces of the equation that I really appreciated, you know, because I wasn't certain how I was going to handle that going into it. Never done that in my life. Um, hadn't <laughs> dude, even seen it. You know? Dude, I get grossed out when I unpack a filet mignon from the plastic packaging and I have to touch the slime. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. It's embarrassing to admit, but I'm like, eh, like I don't even like cooking meat or fish. because It grosses me out until it's cooked and on a plate and looks pretty and tastes delicious. But That's the, hilarious. In, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like I said, I'd... I hate to admit that, but it's just, it's the truth. And I know that there's something, there's a disconnect with just my basic humanity in that because of the time and place that I was born in. I was born disconnected from my environment in that way and interacting in the environment in a way in which I believe humans have naturally evolved to interact. Yeah. It's good you admit that though. I mean, so many people go through life without drawing that conclusion or connection. And uh, I'm sure 99% of your listeners have watched the documentary Food Inc., but yeah, I think that's yeah. a fantastic documentary that really just outlines how we prefer to have this packaged pretty thing come to us and how it got to us makes all the difference in the world. You know, I mean, they're adding in dyes to factory farmed salmon to make them more orange because they contain no astaxanthin, you know? Right. So it's like, how do we make it look like coho salmon that has a deeper orange or red? Well, we have to add this dye to it because it simply is nutrient deficient, you know, and then that, that you know, and we vote with our dollar, another great concept they talk about, you know, like um, if you're not going to go hunting, that's fine. I'm not saying it's for everyone. Same with ayahuasca. It's not for everyone, but if yeah. you feel called to it and you're ready, it can be one of the most beautiful things you could ever do. It certainly was for me. Yo. Bada bing, bada. <laughs> that's great. That's funny because I, I forgot what time we started. And I'm like, I think we're supposed to end around one. And I looked at my questions and I thought, that's actually a really good note to end on. And then bing, there you go. There we go. As, as fate has Perfect it. Perfect timing, brother. Well, thank you for the account of all your um, 
psychedelic experiences and the positivity that you've derived from that, the hunt. I, I covered some really cool stuff that I actually haven't talked much about uh, on the show. And so it's always exciting to sit down with someone, especially someone you've talked to before and find out, oh my God, there's so much more to this person and there's so much more of a story to tell. So thank you so much, dude. Super Fuck fun. yeah, brother. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, good times. And um, if you have any of that boar left over, I'm a huge fan of bacon. Keep me in mind <laughs> next Christmas, you know, whatever. Uh, but seriously. I'll send you out some shoulder or some butt. It's cool. Well, we, and didn't, it's, we didn't harvest bacon, so. No oh, you did? Okay. And it's, you know, it's inspiring. And I feel like I kind of, you know, I missed out on a certain amount of bonding with my dad when he was in his big game phase for 45, 50 years or whatever mm. it was. And now he hunts coyotes because he loves deer and, he, you know, mm. the ecology thing, which we didn't get into. But um I think I might have missed the boat on that era, sharing that with my dad. And so it's something I'm sort of looking forward to perhaps experiencing so I can have a more full experience of being a human on earth and really living off the land at least once. So thanks, dude. Yeah, brother. Thank you. See you next time. All righty. Well, I don't know about you folks, but I'm feeling hella inspired after that conversation with Kyle Kingsbury. I'm so fortunate to get down and have conversations and then some budding friendships with guests like Kyle. He's a really inspiring guy to me and so many men because he's strong. He's a beast, but he's also spiritual and kind and introspective. And I think we're living in a really healthy time these days when there's so many dudes like Kyle and, of course, Aubrey Marcus, who's been on the show, also from On It. And um, so many other guests in particular uh, from that part of the world that I've interviewed that are just completely conscious and working on themselves and making a difference in the world. So um, I hope that I'm following in their footsteps or vice versa, and we can all make the world a little bit better place. And um, yeah, I'm just feeling inspired, man. In fact, you know what really inspires me? Owned a Wellness, the best CBD products in the world. You can find them at ownedawellness.com. If you want to get hooked up with 15%, you can enter the code LUKE15 over at ownedawellness.com. Save yourself some cash. You know what? I just realized uh, I'm actually um, at my girlfriend's house right now and I forgot my Owned a Wellness CBD and I'm super bummed. Maybe she has some around here. Don't don't tell her. I'm going to take hers. But uh, this stuff is great for sleep. And also just sometimes if I'm feeling a bit anxious, especially when I'm in the city and just running around in traffic and living the gnarly LA life, um, like gnarly dude uh, but seriously stuff really calms my ass down I love it um, and then of course you know let's check out the red light therapy you guys you can go to juve.com j-o-o-v-v and um, get yourself some of that red light happening I have the elite unit at home now I set it in front of my bulletproof vibe plate it's a vibration therapy device and I just get super super buzzed crazy lit on the red light therapy. It's so good for you and it's so easy to use. I mean, I find it a little easier to stand on the vibe plate because I'm kind of knocking out two birds with one stone. Sometimes I'll sit there and do curls if I'm feeling um, really rambunctious. But it's a, it's a very passive kind of treatment and one that you can stack with other things. I'll also just do breath work there and just kind of stand there and stretch. So I'm really into the red light therapy. I did an episode a while ago with the guys from Juve, the uh, inventors, as it were. And uh, there's so much data, so much science as as to the efficacy of this particular therapy. It's just awesome. There's so many cool things coming out. What's even more awesome is to pound some Organifi green juice, get that powder, stir it up in some water, boom. Then go stand on a vibe plate, do your Juve, pound some Onda Wellness CBD. You're living the life. That's why the show's called The Lifestylist. It's about building the ultimate lifestyle. 
taking all these different teachings and modalities and practices and rolling them up into what works for you personally, finding your secret sauce at any given time, applying them for healing and transformation. You can find Organifi over at Organifi.com forward slash Luke. That's Organifi with an I, by the way. Little creative name there. And if you want to save 20%, uh, use the code Lifestylist over at Organifi. If you want to make it super easy on yourself, just go to LukeStory.com forward slash store. There you will find not only all of our amazing show sponsors, but basically every single product or service that I personally use in my life or have used that I believe has some benefit. And I'm kind of a stickler about finding the best of the best. Like with Owned a Wellness, there's a zillion different CBD brands and there's a couple other good ones too. I mean, I I used to um, uh, have a sponsor that was another company. I guess it's kind of uncouth to mention their name while I'm talking about Owned a Wellness. Uh, There are some others out there, but where I am right now, I think Owned is the best I've ever found. So, you know, that's what's on my site. So if you find something on there, chances are it's the best in class. Unless there's just something I haven't found out about yet that's better. But I'm I'm really into doing the research. I'm the geek who's going to go on Amazon and look for ashwagandha and like read every review. I'll sit there for two hours until I make sure it's tested for mold, yeast, heavy metals, any contaminants, if there's any preservatives or fillers or excipients or any swag whatsoever in any product, it just won't make it onto my site. And um, there have been a couple of times when I've had offers from companies that want to run promos on the show or be featured in the store. And while they might be great people and I'd love to support them, I just can't do it. I can't stomach it. So, you know, if you go to lukestory.com forward slash store, you're going to find the best stuff. You're going to find discounts. And um, more than anything, you're really going to be supporting this podcast, which is of course free. And I'm presuming will always be free. And how it becomes free is by our sponsors and the support that you give in the store. That way I don't have to be like, Hey, buy a Toyota. Well, I guess if Toyotas were my favorite car, I would run ads for Toyotas, but they're not. I like to run ads for things that um, really help people and things that have helped me. It just feels really good when it's a you know, a trifecta win, when all three parties really benefit from that uh, situation. So there you go. I'm super excited about next week's show with Ruby Warrington. She's been on the show before a couple of years ago. We recorded in New York. This time she came out to LA and I was in my own studio. We got to really relax and have a great conversation that episode's coming up Tuesday. It's called Sober Curious, Becoming Spiritual Without the Spirits. Uh, many of you that have listened to the show know that I don't partake in the old booze anymore. Uh, and turns out Ruby doesn't either, but for different reasons. And she's kind of the spearhead of a new movement, which is people exploring the idea of living life without alcohol, even though they might not be clinically uh, branded with the burden of being an alcoholic. You know, there are a lot of people who've had serious drinking problems that don't drink anymore. And then there are people that just realize like, wow, I think my life is just kind of better without alcohol. So she's created all these parties and she has a book out if it's not out. Yeah, I think it's out already by the time this comes out. Um, just about the idea of like, hey, it turns out alcohol is just not very good for you. And so she's exploring ways to uh, have fun and party and be sociable and travel and do all the things that many of us like to do uh, with alcohol, but doing it sans the old sauce. So that's a really fun conversation. I had a great time talking to her in depth about all the different elements of alcohol, where it comes from, uh, the origins of drinking, the different uh, societal and cultural relationships that we have with that stuff. And um and what it's like for her to just kind of not do it anymore and still be able to live her life and get down and have fun. 
So that's what you can look forward to next Tuesday. I want to thank you so much for joining me on this episode. If you're still hearing my voice right now, you know what you are. You're a super fan. And for that, I truly love you. I'll see you next week. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net.